So we go to the scripture this morning. I would uh, encourage you to listen to these words. Paul even said that there are races or things that we do in our lives that move us to a place of accomplishment. But like graduates, it requires work. It requires dedication. It requires practice in order to master those kinds of things. And you'll hear a little bit more about what Paul is talking about as David reads from Philippians. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Jesus Christ. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. This is God's word. This morning we're going to hear from three other voices. Uh, in addition to, I'm going to bring a very short message at the end of these. These are three of our graduates. We're going to share a little bit of their story with us, a little bit of what you have meant to them, kind of what they've done, and, and also kind of where they're headed. And we're going to begin this morning with Katie Allen. So as you know, I just graduated from Whitworth University. Um, I get to spend my summer playing with um, designing HVAC systems at WCB Flock and Kurtz. And I had the wonderful joy of growing up at Aldersgate. Um, some of my favorite early memories are of chasing cotton puffs out on the playground. And actually last weekend I got back just in time to chase them with the youth group out in the parking lot. Um, now, the nice thing about the playground is it's always had either a cabin or a house um, in it. Um, I haven't actually checked to see if there's one in it currently, but um, I was not the child that you found in the cabin or house. I was the child that you found on the cabin or the house. Um, and Aldersgate, though, has always been my home. Um, Aldersgate has been there for me and for my family um, when we needed them. Um, sometimes you knew that you were being there um, for us in our times of anguish, and sometimes you didn't. Um, when I lost, when my family lost my aunt and my cousin, uh, the ministry that we received was thoughtful and truly touching. As we were deciding um, where my remaining cousins were going to live in Kansas, um, Linda Reichenbach was here mowing our lawn, which, as you all know, in the spring is a huge thing. Otherwise, we would have come home to a meadow. Um, and beyond that, too, that continued. The touching, thoughtful ministry has always been a part of my life. Um, by midway through February, my freshman year of college, I was desperately homesick. Um, I'd been bouncing back and forth for holidays, but it was time to settle in f um, for spring semester. I wasn't going home for months. And I, that day, when I went to um, the hub post office on Valentine's Day, there was a note saying I had a package. And I went, okay, I have a package. I went and I got it. And it was a care package, I discovered. It was just the right shape. It was covered in uh, Winnie the Pooh stickers. Um, <laughs> And I opened it up, and inside were quite a few cookies, which I may have tearfully munched through two of them before telling myself I need to stop, um, and wrapped in white and red confetti was a beautiful card that just was very touching. It had so many well wishes. 
it meant the world to me. I actually took that Valentine and spread it in the years to come at college. I made Valentines for as many friends as I could my sophomore, junior, and senior year and passed the love forward. Because that's the one thing that Aldersgate has really taught me is part of our faith is spreading God's love and bringing it to others. Um, And so I worked the best I could at um, college to bring the love that I had felt at Aldersgate all throughout my childhood and my youth forward to my friends. And it's one of the things, since I get to move back to Seattle, that I'm looking forward to being part of Aldersgate again and working with Aldersgate to spread the love further forward um, into our community. Yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> Sam. Sorry. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? All right. So my name is Sam. Um, I'm graduating from BCS, um, Baywood Christian School. And my special memory here is um, church camp and youth group. And, uh, yeah, church, church camp is super fun. I didn't really go to a lot of church camp, but if you guys have kids, please send them to like a church camp or so. I mean, they would crave for more, but uh, yeah, that's a special memory. Um, and how has the other kids impact my fate? I would say um, youth group has impacted my fate a lot, because um, first off, before I came to this church, I was not really a Christian person. Like, Jesus Christ was not really a big part of me, and um, that changed over the past three years, I mean, um, you know, during one time, during a church, uh, no, during the youth group, I was singing, right? And then all of a sudden, I just, like, it's just a sudden pause, like a snap like that. And then I was thinking, like, oh, what a joyful uh, moment that we have right here, like, singing with our friends. And, like, I just can't describe it. It's just wonderful. Um, yeah, that's, and that's, I started to run and just open the Bible and just read random passage, you know, and just weird at first, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> three years is short to change from the moment. And um, how is, um, I mean, this next question is, how, is, how do you think that journey will continue as you move in the future? I would say I don't know like what's going to happen next, because um, I want to go into the military, but my mom kind of like, um, you know, stopped me from doing that. So I'm going to college for a year, maybe maybe a year, maybe two years. I don't really know, but um, yeah, I, I guess God has a plan for me, and um, you know, I'm going to stick with that for now. And yeah, thank you. Sam is uh, incredibly gifted in graphic design and some other areas, and I look forward, my friend, to where you're headed from here and that we can help you along the way. And, Katie, as you make this transition into engineering, I said for service, I hope you help design safe bridges. But, um, <laughs> but it's just we're here for you as well, and I know for both of you this has been a significant place and just what a privilege it has been. I have one more. I'm going to read this from Laura Wall. <clears throat> she writes, she was not able to be here this morning but wanted to share this. I'm Laura Wall, and I'm graduating from Seattle University this June with a master's degree in pastoral care and an additional year of study in family, individual, and group counseling. My field of passion is the end of life in supporting families with aging parents or loved ones, as well as those facing their return home to God. 
I plan to continue my studies this fall with a certificate in behavioral health and aging through the University of Washington Extension, as well as a certificate in end-of-life care through Smith College School of Social Work. I want to say just one thing to all of you listening, and that is that I'm an old woman. It's a poignant pause there. Maybe not by some people's standards, which might be part of why I like to work with older people, but by the standards of many across the globe. And yet I am starting a new career. God tells me this is possible as all things are possible with God. A new future is possible through God. A new life is possible through, through God. <clears throat> and I'm just here to say that it is never too late to begin living the life you want, the life God wants for you, the life that will truly make you happy and enable you to offer the gifts God has given you to better the world we live in. Thank you she says, for being my wonderful church through this time in my life. Well, friends, we are absolutely honoring these 13, and it is, it is important that we stop for a moment and do this. But I have some words for them this morning, which I hope will translate out to the rest of us. A number of things that I'd like to just encourage them to do in the midst of this kind of transitional time, this rite of passage, this graduation time. The first is, and we seldom do this, all too often we let these times go by without capturing them. We have all the big dinners and all the celebrations, all those times where we can gather and everybody else tells us what an accomplishment this is. But what I'd like to say to the graduates today is, you take some time. You stop for a few moments. You go off by yourself and write about this. Because this time will be exceptionally fleeting. Because the next thing is going to start immediately. If we don't capture these times, we sometimes miss them for the rest of our lives. And so I want to just encourage the graduates to stop. Kind of like we do at the beginning of worship. And go off a place where you can kind of be by yourself. And write about how this feels. Capture it somehow so that you can go back again and look at it. Second thing I want to encourage of our graduates is to congratulate themselves. We don't do this enough in our society because we feel somehow that if we congratulate ourselves, if we pat ourselves on the back, that somehow we become egotistical. When in fact, when we have these kinds of accomplishments, it's important for us to recognize what we have in fact accomplished and to celebrate that not just by those around you, but within yourself. To stop again, to say, well done. I, I shared for service that, that as I was riding, I rode a motorcycle every day to class from Santa Monica, 42 miles to Claremont School of Theology, and then 42 miles back. And I remember that last day, that, that day where classes ended. Dirk, Dirk was celebrating a little bit of that this morning, that he's done. I remember that day. And I got on my bike through L.A. traffic, and at the, in the top of my lungs, screamed, I've done it. And I've done it to the best of my ability. And I will never forget that. And every once in a while, you all, I go back and I read my journal of that day and the graduation ceremony in those times. Capture these. Capture these moments. Celebrate these moments and congratulate yourself. Allow yourself that opportunity to just say to yourself, well done. Because we're saying it to you 
right now. Also in the midst of these kinds of life transitions, we have an opportunity sometimes to kind of redefine who we are. And the way I'd like to just talk briefly about that is, which gospel now are you going to follow after this rite of passage? Which gospel are you going to adhere to? What's going to be the foundation of you from here moving forward? And I just got a couple of examples of gospels that some follow. And I want to encourage you not to. We've just dealt with the tornadoes in Oklahoma City. And then that swath that happened again last in the last couple of days. And I keep hearing from those who live a gospel of hate. And they call it a gospel. A word of God. That these tornadoes are somehow punishments for things that they have done. That's a gospel of hate. Or those who go to the funerals of soldiers and pick it outside, those instead of saying thank you for the services that have been done. Is that the gospel? Is that the gospel that you will decide to live? Or what about the gospel of wealth and prosperity? Because that is an overarching, overwhelming goal. I've heard for 21 years of ministry as well as beyond that, that What do you want to accomplish in your life? Well, I want to be rich and I want to be famous. Of course, nobody in this room can relate to that. But that's a gospel of wealth and fame, of wealth and prosperity. But that is a dead-end gospel. It is a gospel that focuses solely on ourselves and what we want or what we need or what we feel. We, We lived, as you know, in Santa Monica for... and greater Los Angeles for about seven years and in the Santa Monica church was able to be in relationship firsthand with some who are the wealthiest people on the planet. And I got to tell you, wealth and fame are not all they're cracked up to be. I have seen a level of unhealth in the wealthy that I have never seen in other places, particularly those wealthy that believe that they need to hoard everything that they have. Families that live in homes worth $127 million and yet will do nothing for anyone who is poor. That's the gospel of wealth and prosperity. And that's a dead-end gospel. And I want to I advise you to be careful with that gospel. It's a very tricky gospel. The next gospel that, that I want to encourage you to be careful with is... We used to call it kind of social gospel, but social gospel has become something completely different in today's day and age. I have a number of even a couple of my own children who have struggled with this. But I see particularly young adults who are now coming back and saying, I don't need to be in relationship with anybody, at least face to face. What I can do is I want relationships built on Facebook and texting. Because then I don't have to go face-to-face with anybody. There doesn't need to be any conflict in these relationships. I can be anybody I want to be on Facebook. I can create this image. And nobody needs to get to know me then. And I don't have to deal with the messiness that is relationships when it comes to -to face-to-face. I tell you, it is in the messiness that we find love. It is in the messiness that we find a level of acceptance. It is in the messiness that we find the ability to cope. And it's even in the messiness that we can find God. 
who is seeking to work with us in those things. And on that note, the same can be said for the other kind of aspect of what used to be the social gospel, which was it was a gospel based solely on works. That if I do this, and then I go do this, and then I go do this, you know what, I'm going to be fine. And I'm going to head on up in the golden chariot to heaven. Here's the issue. If that's what it's about, you don't have to depend on God at all. And yet everything I see in Scripture asks us to depend on God. For what we have, for what we do, for the relationships that we build. And so we need to be careful with that other aspect of the social gospel as well. But there is another. And it is that fatalistic, apocalyptic gospel. I'm teaching this class on Revelation. We've been talking about apocalypse. But it is that gospel that says, you know what, I'm only going to live once. I'm going to take everything I can possibly take because I deserve it. You know what, the world's going to end at some point anyway. Global warming, all these other things. They're telling me that, that I only have this much time. And so I am going to take everything. Because you know what? I deserve it. Boy, that's a dangerous gospel. But there is that other one. The one that helps us gather in a place like this. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one we seek to follow who basically says there are but three things that we need in our lives. We need to love God first. We need to have God be the one that defines who we are and what we are and what we do. And the way that we do that is by studying the Scriptures, by examining the life of Jesus and seeking to emulate that life in all that we do. That's number one. And what will help us do that is is by spending time in prayer and study and Bible studies and spending time in community, examining those kinds of things. A community of trust that, friends, is not Facebook. It's often sitting across the table and vehemently disagreeing on where we stand and yet walking away arm in arm, loving each other in the midst of that. Loving God first. But the second is tougher, I think. The loving of neighbor as we love ourselves. Do you hear that? In in those other gospels, in this world of those other gospels, God says it's okay to love ourselves. Matter of fact, it's not just okay. It's required. If we're defined by God first, what is there not to love? We are miraculous creations of a holy God. Miraculous in so many ways. Who are we to say that we're not lovable? But here's the kicker. That sentence, as Jesus said, the first is, love God with all that you are, and the second is, like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. I will say it again, that the outgrowth of all of this is that we love our neighbors the way that we love ourselves. It doesn't mean that we just simply are in relationship of like to our neighbors. It means our neighbors are everyone. 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 And that if we have a bed to sleep in, we need to make sure our neighbors do, because that's a part of the way that we love ourselves. 
If we have food to eat, that means that our neighbors need to have food to eat. And that's how we love them as we love ourselves. That our neighbors, because we have community around us, that we need to provide that for our neighbors. If we have direction in our lives, and we provide that. If we have support in our lives, and that's how we love our neighbors. It is so much more complex than the simplicity of what we too often hear. But if we do those things, and we do those in that order, guess what? The world, like our lives, becomes transformed. I congratulate all these graduates on the work that they have done. But see, here's the other thing. Not every one of your teachers or professors has been as patient as the one that we seek to follow. Because if you fail in what I just said about loving God and neighbor as self, guess what? You still get a pass. You get to start over and try again. It's a pretty amazing kind of education. But it does take time to master and practice. And so graduates and congregation, let's keep practicing all of that. That last gospel, not the first six. Will you pray with me?